So let me ask a question here as we get started this morning. What are the four words that strike fear into the hearts of every man, woman, and child in the world? The four words that strike fear into the words of every man, woman, and child in the world. Have any guesses? How about this one? It's just a small cavity. Problem is, that's five. Um, you were going too fast. That's five as well. How about this one? We're having a pop quiz. Every student's, that's five too. How about this one? My mother's coming, but it's just for a few days. That's a lot, no matter which way you cut it, right? But what are the four words that strike fear into the hearts of every person? Are you ready? We need to talk. Anybody ever said that? Anybody ever heard somebody say that to you? My dad liked to say that. We need to talk. It was like a big lie, okay? First of all, I didn't feel that need. So to say that we needed to talk was not true. It was him that needed to talk. So he could have said, I need to talk. Because that's really what it was anyhow. Because I didn't do any talking. I just did a lot of listening and a lot of nodding. But every once in a while, he'd show up and say, we need to talk. And I'd be like, oh. And I would just hate that. And, you know, maybe you've heard people say that to you, we need to talk. Maybe it's the boss or maybe it's your, your mate or maybe it's a parent or, or maybe it's somebody else in their life. But those words always introduce what comes next, which is confrontation. Now, I don't know about you, but confrontation is not my favorite thing in the world. And if you come to me and say, we need to talk, let me just tell you. You have not gotten the conversation off on a good foot. I'm not like, oh, I am so excited. Let's have at it. That's not how I am. Now, maybe you are. And good for you if you are, or maybe not. I'm not sure. But confrontation is not something that most of us like. Most of us are not fans. Most of us don't wake up in the morning and hope that somebody says, we need to talk. But at the same time, confrontation is a part of life. Um, sometimes not a happy part of life, but, but as long as you have relationships, you're going to have confrontation. And to be completely honest, you're going to have the need for confrontation as well. Because truth is, we don't always get it all right. And truth is, we have issues that we need to work out with each other. So how do we deal with confrontation well? And how do we take that idea of confrontation is hard and confrontation is unpleasant and confrontation I don't like and turn that upside down this morning? Now, our problems with confrontation generally fall into three categories, and there's three reasons why we struggle with confrontation. The first reason that we struggle with confrontation is, this is when we're in it, but it's because the confronter doesn't confront very well. And you've had that experience, right? When somebody has confronted you and they really did a bad job with it. Now, I, I doubt that it was you confronting somebody else that did a bad job. Probably just the person confronting you, and you can relate to that. Sometimes we have problems with confrontation because it's the confrontee, if that's a word. The confrontee doesn't really accept it well. I don't know if you've ever struggled with that. I, maybe I have on occasion. Where somebody's confronted me about something and that I, it wasn't really well received on, on my part. But the, really, the third reason is the biggest reason. It's because both the confronter and the confrontee aren't doing very well with the whole situation. And that's generally how it works out. Whoever comes and has this reason to talk doesn't really come very well, and the person who has, you know, 
doesn't really want to talk. They don't receive it very well. And we get into those situations. And we've all dealt with situations where confrontation has gone bad. In fact, if they want to make a movie or a video sometimes, they could have a lot of fun with that one, right? Confrontation's gone bad. And just go around and just, you know, capture all the different things like that. You know, just, just come to your home or just come to your workplace or, or sometimes just even come from, to, to church. But how do we make those go better? Most of us don't enjoy confrontation. We're confrontation averse, and we do about whatever we can to avoid it, which is not always the best solution either. Running away from a confrontation sometimes just lets this situation just keep simmering and simmering, and it doesn't typically get worse. Sometimes it gets even, uh, excuse me, it doesn't get better. It usually gets worse, and really we need to deal with situations. So how can we do a better job with it? Well, the question, I think, is answered in 2 Corinthians. And so I want to encourage you to turn to me today as we continue to look at the book of Upside Down, talking about the book of 2 Corinthians. And we're going to talk about turning confrontation upside down. So 2 Corinthians chapter 7 is where we're going to be diving in here this morning. And I'm going to do a quick review, and we talked about this two weeks ago, but I'm going to go through it again because I think it's really important for us to understand the story that we're looking at here this morning. Second, when Paul visited Corinth, he was on his second missionary journey, and he established a church there. Well, that was about A.D. 50. He was there for 18 months, maybe two years, and then he went to Ephesus. And when he got to Ephesus, he heard of some problems that were going on in the church in Corinth. They were brought to him probably by a woman by the name of Chloe. And so he wrote a letter of instruction to them. And when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 9, he refers to that letter, and he calls it his previous letter. But that letter doesn't exist anymore. We don't have any copies of it. It was sent and somehow disappeared. But that's often referred to as Corinthians A. So keep that in mind, Corinthians A. So Paul gets this letter, or he gets this uh, word from Chloe, and he sends this letter, and it, it gets sent back. But then he gets word that it really didn't have that much impact, and there's still problems going on in the church. And so he writes a second letter to address those specific problems in the church. And this is our book of 1 Corinthians, or what's often referred to as Corinthians B. So 1 Corinthians that you're looking at in your Bible is Corinthians B. It's a letter that Paul sends to the Corinthian church. It's his second letter now addressing some problems or you could say confronting some issues that were going on in the church. However, that letter was not successful either and the situation got worse. In fact, not only did it get worse, there seems to be a pushback against Paul. And like, who are you to tell us what to do? And, and you know, there's a, a question even about Paul's authority as an apostle. And, and so there's just a lot of tumult. And, and so Paul just finally says, okay, you know what? I'm just going to go back in person and we'll address these issues in person. And so Paul goes back in person. Sometimes this visit is called the painful visit because it just like rips Paul apart. But he goes back and he confronts the people over some issues that are going on, and it is not well received. In fact, basically, they're like, you know, who are you, Paul, to be telling us what to do? And Paul leaves town without these issues being um, resolved. His, his um, authority has been questioned, and there seems to have been like a, like a ringleader that's really pushing back against Paul in this situation. And so he gets home. His, his visit really hasn't accomplished his goal 
and he decides to write a letter. Now, to me, that, like, seems backwards. Like, okay, it makes sense. He's sent this letter before, and nothing's worked, so he's going to go in person. Now he's gone in person. They've rejected him in person. He goes back, and he's like, you know what? That didn't go so well. They didn't really accept me in person, so how about if I just write them another letter? That wouldn't, to me, seem like a great solution to the situation, but I think Paul was at his point where, like, I don't know what else to do. So he sends this letter back and sends what's often called the severe letter, or the letter of tears. And it's evidently a very direct and blunt and like kind of letter. We don't have this letter either. This is often referred to as Corinthians C. But we do have in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, which is Corinthians D, the result of that letter. And so Titus takes this letter to Corinth, and Paul sends him off with that. And after Paul sends Titus off with his letter to Corinth, he sits there and he thinks, you know, that probably wasn't a good idea. Maybe I shouldn't have sent them a letter, and that letter was probably way too harsh. And this, like, at least before I still had a relationship, I probably just ended the, I probably just blew it. Like, that was probably a stupid thing to do. And so Paul gets so anxious about it that he, he goes off looking for Titus to say, hey, how, how did it go? And so he meets up with Titus, maybe in, in Philippi, and Titus says, hey, Paul, I got to tell you, that letter that I took, they received it great, and they have changed, they've made changes, and, and everything is going great there. And I think Paul's like, and so what we actually have here in 2 Corinthians is we have Paul's response to the people's response. So they got this hard letter. They made changes. And now Paul's like, oh, I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. And so he sends this letter, 2 Corinthians or Corinthians, D, back to the people. And so that's where we are reading here this morning. Now, we're not exactly sure what the incidents were that Paul was addressing, especially in his third letter. It may have been something that we see in 1 Corinthians 5. It doesn't quite match up with that situation, a moral failure of, of a person in the church. It may have been just in response to, to everything that had happened by the rejection of him and, and this person who was kind of leading a rebellion. It may have been something different. It may have been a, a, a accumulation of these things. We just know that this church is really good at dysfunction and this church is really good at problems. And we also know from our own experience, that sometimes addressing things by letter or by email or by text isn't always the best way to deal with them, and yet it still works out okay here. So what happened? I just look at this, this is like the great mystery to me, like how does he get away with this? How does he get away with sending a letter that, that even by his own admission is pretty direct and pretty, you know, maybe blunt and, and harsh, and yet they somehow responded well? Because as we ponder that question, it gives us a way to look at this passage, and we can answer that question, so what exactly happened? Why did this work out this way? And so when we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, this is a passage that's different from last week's. Last week was very doctrinal. We talked about a lot of theology, actually, last week, whether you, you, you realized it or not. And doctrine is great because you just look at it and it's like, here's the cold, hard facts, and we just take these and we've got them. This is more of a narrative. 
And when we get to a narrative, we're looking at a story, and, and the facts aren't so much on the surface as we have the facts illustrated. And so when we have them illustrated, we have to kind of dig down a little bit deeper to say, okay, what is the truth underneath all of this? And both are valid. And the, and the Bible is filled with both. Both we have you know, doctrinal passages and narrative passages. We just have to approach them a little bit differently. But this is actually a narrative passage that we dive in today. And we start reading verse number two. Make room for us in your hearts. And as we read through this, note all the words of encouragement and endearment and positivity in this, in this letter that he's writing back. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this could condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. This is how Paul feels about these people. that They've just been at odds here for, for months. He said, I've spoken to you with great frankness. I didn't beat around the bush, and yet I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. Why? Because I was so worried about how you were going to receive this letter. And here's what happens. You keep reading, verse number 5. When we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. We were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside and fears within, which probably these fears within was Paul worrying about what was going to be the result of this letter he sent. It says, but verse number 6, but God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. Titus told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Titus brought this incredible report. I couldn't believe it. So even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did read it, when I sent it, I, 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 you know, I had some second guessing there. I see that my letter, it, it hurts you, but it only hurts you for a little while because you did something about it. So now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance, for you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. This letter, like unlikely as it was, had the desired effect. So verse number 10, godly sorrow brings repentance. That leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. And his thing is here, your remorse led to a change in behavior. And it leads to salvation, not about your eternal salvation of your soul, but it leads to your getting these issues figured out and leaving them behind. So you're being rescued from those issues. And he said, you could, have, you could have responded a different way, but you responded in the right way. And here's what that godly sorrow has produced in you. Verse number 11. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. And at every point you have proved yourselves innocent in this matter. And that's not to say you didn't do it. It's to say that what you did, you have now made amends for. You have repented. You have changed. So you are now innocent. You weren't in the past, but now you are innocent in this, uh, this, this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on the account of the one who did the wrong or on account of the injured party, but rather that before God you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? It's not how devoted Paul was to them, but how devoted they were to Paul. 
underneath everything that was going on. By this we were also encouraged. And I'm going to stop reading right there. You can finish up a little bit. But in this passage, we are exposed to this story of confrontation. And we don't have like a direct thing, here's what you do, here's how you should handle it. We just see what was going on. And so we step back and say, okay, what can we learn from this story? But I think as we look at this story, there's two questions to ask ourselves. First of all, what's a good way to confront? Because Paul was confronting here, and Paul was right in confronting. And there are times in lives when we do need to confront. That's valid and that's legitimate. But how do we do it well? And then there's the question on the other side is, how do we respond to it well? Because the Corinthians responded poorly, responded poorly, responded poorly, and finally responded well, and it changed everything for them. And it's like, well, why didn't you just do that in the first place? Could have saved you a lot of headaches and a lot of emotional turmoil here, a lot of relational upset. But how do we confront well, and how do we respond well? So here's some thoughts here this morning to help us with that. First of all, when we confront... It must be for the right reason. When we confront, it needs to be for the right reason. We need to confront people because we are concerned and we care about that other person. And their well-being is really a priority to us. Now, it may, need, may, it may be that we've been wrong, and so we do need to speak to the wrong, and that's valid. But we also need to be more concerned than just about defending ourselves or protecting ourselves or making sure that we get justice in some way. We need to be mindful of the other person here. And really my motivation then is just not about me and protecting my territory or my feelings or whatever. But I'm actually concerned about you, that you're doing the right thing, that, that your decisions are good. And so this is what Paul, that's where he was. In fact, you would look at that and say, why would you send another letter? The reason he, he sent another letter is because he couldn't give up on them. It wasn't about Paul. It was about the fact that he still cared so much and so deeply for those people. Now, I would say this. Then we need to be careful that if we are confronting, that, that we're at a level that it's more than just that I was frustrated and irritated with you. That may be true. But is that, really, is that really enough reason? Something to consider. It needs to be, if we're confronting, it needs to be in the realm of our responsibility. If it's not your business, don't make it your business. We do that sometimes. We see something that's going on and we jump in and have something to say about it. I would hesitate to do that. Let people, now there's sometimes where a third party's brought in, but that should be at the, at the, at the request of both parties there. And it should be an obvious situation of right and wrong. And, and so we, we sometimes do have to speak up. And sometimes it is a right or a wrong that we do have to address. In, in permissiveness, we believe in grace, but we believe in truth. And in, in, you know, grace and permissiveness are not the same thing. So there are times when we do have to speak up. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't confront Paul confronted, but I am saying that it needs to be for the right reason and it needs to be with the proper motive. And that is what? The benefit of you or the benefit of us more than the benefit of me. Secondly, when we confront, we need to take the right approach. All through this passage as you read this, Paul is like just lathering on his, his affirmation and his love. 
And when we are in the role where we need to confront somebody, this should come out. The fact that I love you, the fact that I care about you, the fact that I am affirming you. And if we, if we don't have any relational equity to start with, we're really going to struggle in that regard. You know, have you ever been confronted by somebody that you knew didn't even like you? How'd that go? Oh, thank you so much. You know, if they give you paper, you just wad it up and throw it away. And so if we're going to do it, we, we have to have the, the, the right approach, and in, in it's that we have to have this relational equity where it's obvious that we care. So there's love, there's affirmation. And truth, or excuse me, trust has to be essential. And have you ever been confronted by somebody that you didn't trust? I didn't go well, did it? And so when we look into things where we're like, okay, I'm going to need to confront here, somehow either you have to have a trust relationship already or you have to develop that or, or you're going to struggle. And, and at the core of what's going on here with Paul and these people, there is this level of trust. And finally, they come to terms with the fact that, you know what? Well, this guy started the church, I guess. And this guy just keeps writing letters and he makes visits. This guy, okay, we trust him. And so trust is at the core of that. We need to be clear about what the desired behavior is that we're trying to address. So this is not just a reactionary response. We need a lot of humility and self-awareness. And I take us back to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. He said, if, if you've got a, somebody's got a sliver in their eye, a splinter, just make sure that you're not smacking them in the head with a beam that's sticking out of yours. Same thing here. If, if we are in a situation we have to confront, we need to really stop and do some self-assessment, be self-aware, and come in with a huge level of humility. So, to wrap that up, I put this into a list of what I would call, well, not pros and cons of confrontation. I'm calling them the cons and cons of confrontation. Not that they're bad, just as I put them into this list here. And so let me just give you a list that I think could be super helpful as a checklist as you're dealing with confrontation. First of all, we need to confront with concern. We need to confront with concern. Am I genuinely concerned about the well-being of this person? And am I genuinely concerned about the well-being of our relationship? If that's missing, it's not going to go well. Secondly, we need to confront with congeniality. People may disagree with what you have to say. They may not even appreciate what you have to say. But they shouldn't be able to disagree with how you said it or how you came across. Because you need to be expressing affection. You need to be expressing kindness. It's all about the tone. And that's sometimes when we say, hey, if you've got a problem, don't send an email. Don't send a letter. Deal with it in person. Why? Because tone is not reflected in emails. Tone is reflected in person, and we can hear that. And so there should be even this welcoming of each other, even in this uncomfortable situation. And so Paul had been severe and direct, but he still somehow communicated love. He evidently didn't come across as angry or abrasive. And if we come across that way, we are going to limit the impact of what we're sharing. And the message is going to get lost because of the messenger. Thirdly, confrontation should be with confirmation. We are discussing a situation 
when we have a confrontation, we are not attacking a person. In fact, we want to confirm that person. We want to confirm that relationship. We want to confirm that the relationship matters. We want to offer validation. The fact that I am speaking to you means that I, on the overall, approve of you, or I accept you, or I see you as having value and having potential. And so it needs to come with confirmation. I'm not dismissive of the other person. It's the opposite. And why did Paul keep going after this? I have to believe it's because he was saying, hey, I am not giving up on you. You matter too much to me. You are too important to the kingdom. I'm not walking away. Yeah, this is really hard and uncomfortable, but I'm in it because you matter. Next, confrontation should be with conciliation. The idea of confrontation is that at the end, by the end, we come together. We shouldn't go our separate ways all frustrated with each other. We actually should come to some sort of an agreement. And we need to be reminded, James talks about this, James 3.18, we need to be reminded sometimes that making peace may be more important than being right. And sometimes we get on our high horses and we're so consumed with I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, that we forget all about the relationship. And sometimes we need to back off the rightness Focus more on the relationship and realize that our end goal here is going to be conciliation. Next, confirmation, excuse me, confrontation should be with a conversation. Invite dialogue. And this was a little hard in Paul's day because they didn't have email and they didn't have phones. And, and so everything was messengers and everything was back and forth via, via letters. But even Paul made an a, a effort to go and do what? Talk to the people. Confrontation is going to go better with conversation. You know, that's what I'd like to remind my father of. Could, you know, when we need to talk, there was not a conversation there. It was just a lecture, you know, and I took mental notes. But conversation is how we, we work through this so we can ask questions. By the way, there's a big difference between asking a question and by challenging somebody in question form. You know what I mean by that? You ever been asked a question that really wasn't a question? It was just an attack. Be careful with that. But we ask questions and we can listen and we can hear because you know what we, happens sometimes when we do that? We discover there's more to the story maybe than what we knew. And maybe there's an, a reason there that we had no idea what's going on there. And we make so many assumptions and if we would have a conversation we discover that some of those assumptions are wrong. So confront, confrontation should be with a conversation. And then we flip to my second set of cons here. Confrontation should be without contrariness. If you just love a good argument, you need to be done with that. And some people, it's like confrontation is just because I haven't had an argument in a while. No, that's not what you, you know, consciously say. But some people are kind of like that. Like, you know, they just love a good scrap. I don't think that's what we're after here. And so we need to be careful about our approach. It's not just to counter somebody or to provide the loyal opposition. It's just, it should be the opposite of this. Actually, when we get into contrariness, what we get into with confrontation is what I would call nitpicking. Have you met nitpickers? Like every little thing they're pointing out, every little thing, it's like... There's a certain weird joy that comes in doing that. 
we need to stay away from that. And what you do with that is you just destroy any relational equity that you have there. Next, confrontation should be without contention. Keep the temperature down. You know, when you're angry, that might not be the best time to deal with the matter. It might be better to calm down and then come back to it. When we go through our re-engage groups, we do a lot of what we call dialogues. And they're just ways to encourage discussion if husbands and wives. But we have one that's called the frustration dialogue. Because you know what? This may come as a huge surprise, but if you're married, there are times when you get frustrated with each other. But the idea of the frustration dialogue is it always starts with this sentence. I have a frustration. When would be a good time to talk about it? And the idea is, probably not now, but when can we schedule this when we can all be calmed down and when we can actually talk about the issue? And so we need to remind ourselves of that. If we get into an argument, it's gone bad. And we need to probably step away from that and maybe start over or maybe come back to it at another time. Next, confrontation should be without condescension. If you come into the moment claiming the moral high ground to start with, it's not going to go well. And so we need to come in with humility, and, and we can leave shame out of the conversation. And actually, we can even leave rightness out of the conversation. If you just have to be right, that's not probably going to go well. And what we actually do is we leave room for the other person. And maybe actually in the process of this, we are benefited ourselves as a result. Confrontation should be without condemnation. You may be dealing with a matter of right and wrong, but it's still not your job to be the judge and jury. And when you come in there condemning, it's not going to go well. We need to come in there with, with way more openness, with way more, hey, let's talk this through. The goal is to help someone, not to humiliate them. The goal is to improve the situation, not to actually make it worse, which is what happens with condemnation. And this is what fascinates me about the life of Christ, is how he could confront sometimes without condemnation. Now, we can take the whole Pharisee thing and set that aside, but you look at it in other places, there's confrontation, but without condemnation. There's just grace that's offered with more grace and with more grace. And it should always come with grace. And lastly here, confrontation should be without the need to convince. Sometimes we get in our heads that our job is to fix somebody else. It's probably not going to work. And so when we come into confrontation and like, I've got to fix you, I, you know, that's not going to be well received. Our, our job is to address the issue, but it's not to change the behavior. And it's not to bring conviction or whatever like that. We can leave that up to God. And, the, you know, that doesn't mean that we just say, oh, you know, there may have to be discussion that goes somewhere to see where, and that has some resolution. But we need to be careful that we're not playing the role of the Holy Spirit in somebody's life. And so I throw out my list of cons and cons as, as a checklist. And to say, if you're, if you're involved in a confrontation, especially if you are the confronter, here's some things to consider. Now, that's all if you're the one who comes and says, hey, we, we need to talk. What about if you're the one that just heard, we need to talk? How do we handle that? Because this is what the Corinthians finally did well. Two things. First of all, when we are confronted, we must respond in the right way. 
We need to consider who's saying this to us. And why are we saying that? When it's somebody that we love and somebody that we know loves us, well, then we need to listen instead of pushing back quite so hard. Because we're going to assume then that they're doing this because they care about us. And when it's somebody that we respect, well, we're going to listen up. And, you know, we can actually even do this when somebody's confronting us and say, can I ask why you're sharing this? And that may give you some insights to their heart and what they're, uh, what they're after. You need to remind, we, I, need to remind ourselves that we are not perfect. Has anybody ever messed up? Yeah. So, you know, what do they say? When you mess up, fess up? That's probably a better approach. But sometimes when somebody comes and confronts us, like, oh, you know, and we get all defensive, and, and, and maybe even, like, I didn't do that, and even if I did do it, I, I get all defensive because I have all my reasons why I did that. Because I, you know, I'm going to defend my motives even if my behavior was bad. And when we are approached, we need to say, you know what? I could be wrong. So I, I should at least listen. And even when I'm done listening, you know, I may decide that, okay, maybe not. But we can be approachable. And we need to be that way. And I, I struggle with this. Like, I, I don't... I mean, I'm trying to do a good job. I'm trying to be the right kind of person. And when you come and say you blew it, I'm like, oh. And I don't like that. But it's still to my benefit if I will step back and evaluate. You know, if it's true, well, I need to hear it because I need to change that. And if it's not true, I still need to consider it because something I'm doing is giving off that perception. And while perception isn't reality, perception is reality. Because how things are perceived is how people see them as being real. And so we need to ask ourselves, is there some level of truth in this? You know, if you really want to work on this and be brave, you can sit down with someone and say, hey, just let me ask you a question here. Do you see anything in my life right now that I need to be aware of that I'm probably not? Okay, I didn't say that. That was like way beyond anywhere we want to go. But we need to have that attitude where we accept and hear what's being said. And by the way, hear what's being said. If somebody comes and says, hey, you know, we need to talk, and here's the issue, they may want to talk about an issue. They may not be calling you the worst person in the world, the biggest loser that they've ever met. They may not be telling you that they never want to see you again, that you, they hope you disappear from their life. They may just be saying, hey, when you know when you, this happened here, that's all they're after. And sometimes we just take it and make it into this huge thing, and we need to condense it down. So when we respond the right way, then, the result will be beneficial. And Paul gives a list here that's really interesting. In verse number 11, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you? He said it's produced earnest, earnestness in you. In other words, by your being willing to be confronted, you've had your commitment to right renewed. That's pretty cool. Sometimes when people come in, when I can accept that, it actually motivates me in that direction. He says, you're, uh, what eagerness to clear yourselves. In other words, you're it developed a desire in you to do better. What indignation. Actually, you finally looked at your thing and said, oh gosh, I shouldn't have done that. 
And there's actually some, I want to step away from this, some, some dislike of, of how you've been behaving. What alarm. All of a sudden now you're living with caution. Like, okay, am I getting this right? Am, am, I, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing here? What longing. The desire to do what is right, it could have been to see fall, but it was, it was there's this like emotional boost too, because he says, what concern? They were concerned about Paul, and they send Titus back and say, oh, tell Paul that we're okay, and actually, we love him, and we're grateful for the fact that he confronted us, and it changes our relationship, and he says here, what readiness to see justice done, what that means is, when you were willing to accept it, Finally, you were motivated to do something about it. And so let confrontation be your friend. And let the person who confronts you be your friend too. Because it is likely a key step to your growth. Now, confrontation can be hurtful. And Paul says this. If you go back through what we just read, he said, I caused you hurt. And there is a hurt that harms. And if your confrontation is causing harm, it's not doing well, but there's also a hurt that helps, and that's where we need to get to. We want to confront, not to cause harm, we want to confront to experience hurt. And if we are confronted, we don't want to experience harm, we want to be helped. But some of that is up to us in how we receive it. I want to use a different word instead of hurt, I want to use the word pain. Because a lot of times when we deal with confrontation, we deal with pain. And this is what had happened in Paul's situation too. But we want to turn that upside down. And if we turn that upside down, we've got love. And that is the secret right there. Let's pray. God, this is a hard subject, and this is a subject that I struggle with. Because I don't like the hard conversations, or I don't... Enjoy the confrontation or being told when I'm wrong. Well, my attitude's bad. Could have handled something where it could have handled it better. But God, I pray that you give us all the humility that we need, first of all, to, to just look at our own lives to make sure that we are being the people that we need to be. The people that you want us to be. And God, give us the humility to realize that you use other people in our stories to, to steer us in the right direction. There are Pauls that come our path, along our paths, and we need them so desperately. So God, as we come to places in our life where we need to deal with situations, and we do, I pray that you give us the humility and the wisdom to deal with them well. And when we come to situations where we need to hear something we don't even want to hear, I pray that you give us the willingness to listen to that too. And so our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Here's the question for you this morning, first of all. If you're a Christ follower, it's like a lot like the people in Corinth. They were Christ followers, but they were kind of messed up. Maybe there's situations in your life where you've been confronted recently, and you've kind of blown that off. Maybe you need to lean back in and listen. What was it? What did you need to hear? Well, you have the Humility to receive it well. Maybe there's a situation that you're going to have to be brave and step into because it matters. It matters to that person. It matters to your relationship. Will you commit to doing it with humility and grace? And if you're not a Christ follower this morning, Jesus came 
not necessarily to condemn us. Our sins condemn us. But he came to give us grace and he came to take our sins for us on the cross. And if you've never accepted him, invited him into your life to forgive you for your sin, I'd invite you to do that this morning. But what is the decision that you need to make? Let me just give you a few minutes, a few moments to respond. Dear God, here's my response to what you had to say. So God, we come grateful for the fact that you love us too much to leave us as we are. Sometimes you bring people into our lives to steer us in the right direction. And sometimes you call on us to play that role too. Pray that in either direction you would just give us incredible humility and grace and love. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so our storyline um, journal is this, to revisit a situation where you were involved in a confrontation, either that you were the confronter or you received it, and reflect on that. What did you learn or what could you have learned from that? Just make a few notes of that. And then next week we're going to come back here on Sunday and we're going to talk about turning poverty upside down. So doesn't that sound good? Yes, we would all like to hear that. So would you stand with us? And the worship team is going to sing us out here this morning.